Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. Tech time. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, brought to you by summersf1.co.uk, making F1 tech easier to understand. Today's episode is called Analysts Do It With Pictures. I'm your host, Richard Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by my good friend, Matt Two Rumpets. How are you doing there, Matt? I'm doing great. You know, it's been an astonishingly busy Formula One uh, news week for there not being any actual Formula One. It certainly has, and I hope that after this tech show, you're going to come on with, say, Chris and Bradley and uh, get us up to speed with all that news. Yeah, I think uh, we could actually, we could talk about just one particular topic, and it could probably take up the entire off-season, and I bet everybody knows what it is without me mentioning it by name. A recent FIA appointment of Carmen Jorda to represent all women in motorsport, even if that was the right decision, which it probably isn't. Did they really think no one was going to get upset? The internet exploded over it. Uh, so yeah, I think we can't avoid taking a deep dive and looking at that later in the week. But this week, this Sunday, we're trying something a little bit different. This is still an audio podcast for those of you listening on the MP3 feed. However, the main focus of this recording is to create six distinct, shorter, shareable tech videos. So during several of the sections... Summers will be talking about images that he'll share over the live stream and with the YouTube viewers. Now, I'll do my best to put the images into context so audio listeners still get the same tech time experience. However, if you are able to get to an internet browser, you can follow along with the images on our website. Then that will give you 100% of the intended experience. So perhaps if you're not driving, you might want to pause the recording and go to mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tech. And that's tech spelled T-E-C-H. And then you'll be able to see exactly what Summers is talking about. So just a warning, though, the production and tech 
of this type of recording is logistically challenging. So I'd ask that this week, and just this week, you forgive us if you hear the odd messy edit or jump in the audio, or if I have to mess around a bit setting up for the next scene. Okay, but of course, we can't do Tech Time without special guest, tech expert, Summers F1, Matthew Summerfield. Great to have you on, Summers. Thanks, Vanners. It's great to be back. Of course, we do have a live chat room as well. If you want to join that, go to Missed Apex Podcast on YouTube and subscribe. Click the little bell icon and you will get a notification every time we go live. Before we go on to the tech goodness, I will just tell you audio listeners that Missed Apex is going go-karting with our friends at Daytona Milton Keynes on the 27th of January. We're going to be doing it in the afternoon around three o'clock and we've got a good rate of 60 quid. Um, we have nearly enough people to confirm the booking. So if you want to be one of those people racing against the likes of me, Alex Van Jean, Jeansy, uh, Chris Rainbow Sparkle Stevens, and if you want to see what it's like to get lapped by Bradley Philpot as well, make sure you come and join us. There are a few ways you can tell me you want to come. Spannersready at gmail.com or you can find at SpannersReady on Twitter and slide on into my DMs. They are open. And uh, let me know that you are like pretty sure, very sure, etc. Uh, and I'll get your name on a list. There's no way that Bradley would lap me. Man, he's, he's quick. But I've been on a 30-second lap and watch him kind of approach me at will and then cut through me as if I wasn't there. It's a whole nother level of karting. Mostly because I'm not going to be there. No, you're not invited. And even if you were... <laughs> You couldn't afford to get all the way over. It would be a dream, Matt. And I have said to you before on previous shows that we have drunkenly got together and gone, oh, we should all chip in and get trumpets over on a plane. Obviously, then we sober up and realized that that would never happen. Yeah, the wives would veto that pretty hard. <laughs> so before each tech section, you're going to hear me kind of stiffen up and do a bit of a formal intro. And that is for the sake of the video. So please bear with that. We are here with Matthew Summerfield, Summers F1. Summers, why don't you give us a bit of an overview of the 2017 regulations? Just give us some insight into what's changed, why it changed, and how that evolved through the season. Yeah, okay, Spanner's not a problem. So um, if we have a look at the first slide, which is a comparison of the Mercedes W07 of 2016 and the Mercedes W808 of 2017, we can see dimensionally that some changes were made to the cars. Now, obviously, these changes were made to improve the performance, um, improve the downforce, which improves the the way in which that the weight can be shifted around uh in the corners, which was a problem of the car since the start of the hybrid era. So what we're really looking at for 2017 was a rebalancing of the scales. Um, Promised five seconds a lap improvement uh, from the 2014-2015 times, um, which, again, were were a bit too slow. We were looking more like GP2 reference sort of times, maybe one or two seconds a lap quicker. And and people just weren't wowed by uh, Formula One when we were in a new era, a new technical era. Uh, and so obviously the, the 2017 rules were brought in to try to fix those problems. Would you say that was a genuine knee-jerk reaction to those rules? Because surely people were aware that that was kind of a temporary situation and as reliability increased, they'd start getting that pace off. So it's a bit strange that they they did react so strongly. And also, can you just clarify, what was the target time that this five second a lap increase was meant to be from because some people got confused and thought it was from the end of 2016 to the end of 2017 and dubbed it a failure of the regulations well the problem is is that we, we're looking also at a, a difference in terms of um what the tire 
could provide. So if we imagine the 2016 tyre and we're moving into a whole new era where we're, we're taking on more downforce, Pirelli really had to work quite hard to try and get that five-second window. So it could have been a much more or it could have been a lot less because we, we were really dominated by tyre performance as well, even if we were adding all this particular downforce. But the, the actual reference was Barcelona 2015. That was the actual time that we were using as a reference, a line in the sand, um, at, at which point, obviously, the cars had already become significantly significantly quicker. Um, and towards the end of 2016, the, the cars were already starting to break lap records. So at that point, it then becomes a case of, well, we're spending all this money going into 2017 to design these whole new cars. Um, and are we really needing them? But we're here anyway. We've got the 2017 cars. They were a, a success as far as I'm concerned in terms of the racing. Uh, we may not have had as much overtaking this year, but for me, it was a much better year in terms of the on-track action and the, the quality of the racing rather than the, the quantity. Yeah, Trumpets here. A uh, quick question from the chat room about the tires. We know that they were significantly wider, but did that wind up increasing their height as well? Or or did the height stay the same and it was just the width that got bigger? It was just the width that got bigger. So if we refer to the picture um, on screen um, and in the show notes, uh, the tires from 2016 were 245 millimeters at the front and 325 at the rear. Now, comparing that to the the, the new generation of tires, they're 305 at the at the front, which is almost as big as the re- the old rear tires, and then 405 millimeters at the at the rear, uh, which obviously then means you need to widen the whole track of the car. Something that Formula One hasn't had since 1998. 97 was the the last time that we had. Uh, two meter wide cars um, so it, it's a massive generational shift in terms of the way that the car has to be designed in that respect and and just also a, a follow-up on on the general aerodynamics uh, versus the quality of the passing would it be the odd case that by making it harder to follow it reduced the effect of drs therefore it made the drivers work harder to get by yeah, I think there's a twofold thing going on there. Um, it it has reduced the effect because the wake will be significantly larger um, because the diffuser is larger, the rear wing is lower. Um, it means that those two items interact with one another more effectively. So you, you build a, a different wake profile, um, which then means that the closing gap will be changed um, compared to the older cars. Um, so there's that problem, but also obviously you you have the impact of DRS itself. Um, it's the the actual rear wing is lower for the this formula of car, so the DRS position is is different, and that will have its own impact on on how much drag drag is reduced from from opening the the slot on on a straight. So just to clarify that for idiot language, uh, that means that the DRS was less effective this year. In in my opinion, it will have been less effective just based on its locality uh, because the rear wing has changed in its design. So the, the height of the actual position of the rear wing is different on the 2017 car. Um, it's 800 millimetres high rather than 950 millimetres. So you've lost 150 millimetres in height. Now, the DRS rules were built around that, that original weight concept. So, yeah, it will, will have had an effect. So I'm I'm looking at the diagram here and it's the split with 
the 16 on one side and the 17 on the other side. And you can really see that height difference is stark. You could almost fit the new 2017 wing into the space of the old 2017 wing. So that's how much lower it was. Um, now, is this why we got these TV aerial coat hangers hanging off the back? Was it trying to try and sort of recreate some of that height of the downforce from last season? Okay, so if we're talking about T-wings, then there's two things that we, we've got to think about there. The T-wing is a mistake. Um, a redraft of the regulations allowed a space within the regulations to be opened up in order that teams exploited that that area and created these T-wings. It only allowed a 50 millimeter cord um, winglet to be placed in that section. So it's a very short cord element, but it's very efficient um, and it creates its own amount of downforce. That's why you see so many varied designs up and down the grid. Um, but also it has a, does have an effect on the tip vortex. So it does, or it could be used to reduce drag or help the, the rear wing to generate downforce. Um, depends on how each team wants to, to operate. I can't let you go past tip vortex. Help, help me. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, so... Can you imagine the um, the rear wing, you have the two flaps, you have the, the lower main plane and you have the top flap. And then on the end of those, you have the vertical end plate. What happens when you create two pressure gradients, you're pushing two gradients against one another and you create a spiraling vortex of, of airflow as they meet in the tip. Um, and that's what I refer to as a, as a tip vortex. Yeah, and while we're defining terms, do you just want to define for everybody what you mean by chord? Because to me, that's like, you know, what, what gets played while I solo, but it clearly has a different meaning when you're talking aerodynamics. Okay, so it's basically the depth of the of the wing element. So if you look at the front wing on the, on the Mercedes there, we'll take the right-hand side one where it says Petronos Sintium. Um, those both have two very different chord lengths or heights or however you you want to determine because they, they straddle different x and y profiles so i would always determine them to be a chord chord length okay summers so the people in the chat room are asking questions about the deltas to overtake now lewis hamilton very much like to tell people i couldn't overtake because it's 1.4 delta here and i didn't have that delta to my teammate to my opponent now is this a lot of rubbish he's talking and why weren't we hearing it last season so does that mean that now there is a clear increased delta to overtake and people kind of know what that is now? I wouldn't say that they didn't know what it was before. Um, there's obviously a very different type of delta between each car because each car has a very different philosophy when we're talking about the Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull. So, you know, that they will uh, the drivers themselves will have been given these distinct different um time deltas and yes they may start to talk about these sort of things because it's been mentioned to them in in their data etc um i think it's more of a case of the drivers really iterating the problems with having too much of this sort of uh downforce available to them and the impact that that does have when following another car it's more of a case of the the drivers having a little bit of a complaint by proxy okay are you ready to move on to the red bull side-by-side comparison that we've got Yes, please. Okay, so what we're looking at is the 2016 Red Bull and the 2017 Red Bull. From that side profile, again, you can see the stark difference in the the height of that rear wing. Also, of course, this brings this wonderful shark fin into place, which has made a cameo this season. And I'm kind of disappointed 
that we're probably going to be losing that shark fin now. If you if you are somebody who is worried about how cool the cars look, this is cool. That shark fin is cool. And I don't know why people were complaining so much, Summers. No, well, it's all about changes in it. A lot of people don't like change, and, and unfortunately, um, Formula One is constant change. Now, we've had shark things before. So, again, I don't understand the reason why people have not have a problem with the aesthetic, but we saw them in sort of 2007 and 2008. And, again, it was at a point when the rear wing was much lower. Um, they increased the amount of side force that's available, so they improve the balance of the car. They basically improve the the downforce that's available to to the drivers so yeah for for me i personally like the shark fin um i didn't like the t-wing but you know i, I can't see why we, we're not sticking with the the shark fin this for the coming season and um yeah it's a political shell game by mclaren i think you're on mute there uh, mr trumpets unfortunately yeah i would be on mute there so that i did not cause trouble let me try again. So I'm looking at these two images of Red Bull, and I'm noticing that this section between the front wheel and the uh, wing mirrors seems to be much more filled in on the 2017 car. Was there uh, was that true just for Red Bull, or did that apply to all cars, and was there a regulatory reason that that happened? Oh, wow, yeah. Looking at this picture, Summers, I've just got to make clear to anyone just listening. I mean, I could fit a human head underneath the nose just behind the front wheel on the 2016 car on the 2017 car i'd be doing very well just to slide a hand underneath that area it looks like there's a whole bit of almost huge ducting now underneath the nose okay yeah so so basically the 2017 regulations opened up a a massive amount of potential for for the designers to work with and the most interesting part and the what we would class as the low-hanging fruit area is the area between the front wheel and the side pod, and that's where you you find most of the barge boards um, and, and the other paraphernalia that that come with those. So on the 2017 car, you can see a much larger barge board. There is one on the on the 2016 car. You can say see the the logo of Roche uh, just just ahead of the side pod and that is the barge board for 2016 so the regulations permitted a much larger surface area for them to be able to operate in that area what's also interesting in that area of the car is that the uh, splitter or t-tray or whatever you want to to call that element of the the front end of the 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 plank um, was actually reduced by 100 millimeters so it allowed the teams to be able to rake the cars more should they want to take that option it also allowed them to do some interesting things with the leading edge of the floor um, it's something we'll call it for when we go through the teams um, but basically there, there was a rule in which that allowed them to upturn the front edge of the floor and get more airflow to the rear of the car where there is another enlarged diffuser and, and I would say that that's the other thing that really jumps out at me, comparing it the 125 to the 175. It doesn't sound like a lot on paper, but when you see it in the image, you get a real uh, visceral sense of the amount of increased area that diffuser had to work. And, and that probably that probably drove a lot of innovation at, at the exit of the diffuser. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, across the season from a lot of the teams as they figure out how to use that area most effectively. Yeah, well, the, the volume goes up, has gone up significantly for 2017 because we're not only talking about 50 millimetres taller uh, for the diffuser, it was also 50 millimetres wider. But perhaps the most interesting part is, if you notice on the 2017 car, I've marked on 175 millimetres, and that's from the rear wheel centre line ahead. Now, that gives you 
much more scope ahead of the rear wheel centre line to be able to create the the sort of upwards deck of the diffuser. It, it cre- increases the volume exponentially. The actual diffuser was probably about three times as powerful this year as it was in in the previous season. Um, and yeah, there's there's been a, again, it's been an area of um, huge development throughout the season. Right. We have a quick question from the chat room about barge boards in that uh, Don Byrne would like to know, would there be merit from an overtaking perspective to banning barge boards? There would in some respects, because that was part supposed to be part of the 2009 regulation change. Um, the technical working group that worked on those regulations, it would have been Ross Braun, uh, Pat Simmons and Paddy Lowe, actually asked for barge boards to be completely deleted from from the cars. Um, and what we ended up with was just a very watered down version, as you can see on the 2016 car. Um, at the end of the day, any surface area that's available to a designer, they will exploit to its maximum so yeah if you took them away it would it would significantly reduce the performance of the vehicle but the designer will find a a way around that problem okay then summers so that's a good rundown of the 2017 regulations the aim was to make them faster the aim was to make them more aggressive and more of a tv spectacle they they were even willing to sacrifice some of the overtaking for that either that or they didn't care about that um for you overall then what's the what's the good and what's the bad what did you like and what has taken away from the sport for you well, from a te- technical standpoint, any regulation change is interesting to me because it means that you, you're almost starting afresh. And something as big as this type of rule change was pretty significant. And we're seeing levels of downforce that we've perhaps not seen since the early 2000s. In fact, it's probably the most downforce that Formula One has ever used. Um, and so you end up with different differentials between each team um that the as i said earlier that the ferrari the mercedes and the red bull are very different cars in terms of their overall philosophy and that to me is is exceptionally interesting and what do you feel the sport has lost with these regulations uh, again because of the amount of downforce we're looking at then you do come into the problem that you've just talked about in terms of overtaking um it makes it a much more difficult task um purely because that it creates more wake behind the car. Um, there are ways and, and means to resolve those problems, and hopefully Ross Braun's uh, working group that uh, Liberty have set up will be able to find those problems for 2021. Well, you can say resolve those problems, or you can tell the drivers to suck it up buttercup. We've seen, seen some fantastic overtakes this season. Yeah, when the pressure's on, they can actually do it, can't they? Um, at the end of the day, we want to see them fighting hard. I don't want to see a DRS pass. You know, I want to see wheel-to-wheel action, and that is predominantly what we've had this season. Excellent. Follow Summers on Twitter, at SummersF1. Why not follow me as well, at SpannersReady, and the old man over there, at MattPT55. Okay, so we are here with Matthew Summerfield, Summers F one Summers, we want to take a look at the HPC, which is the Hydraulic Pitch Control. Now, when you explained to me that you wanted to talk about this, I went what the frick and you rolled your eyes so hard at me it was unbelievable but it turns out summers thank you very much that a lot of people get confused with these th- these things it is quite commonly misunderstood it is spanners and yeah i, I know i rolled my eyes, eyes back into the back of my head but you, you're quite right it is one of those things that people do get mis- mistaken about because they the, the technology that's in use is very very similar 
Right. And Trump is here. I actually got dinged for this on the last podcast. But to be fair, I am, I'm going to entirely blame you as one of the first things that anyone who's a tech analyst says is, well, it basically works. They've made it work just like Frick works. Yeah, we, we can take some blame for it. Um, and we tended not really to talk about the, the whole hydraulic suspension elements up until the point of the ban, purely because it was an emerging sort of technology in, in as much as that the teams were still in the very early phases of understanding how to, to, to make things work without the suspension being connected front to rear. So, you know, it, it, it is partly us as tech analysts fault um and also because we didn't really come up with a with a name for it um initially which we're now calling it hpc for hydraulic pitch control right and and just to to help me understand the original frick was front and rear interconnected and the main purpose of it was to keep the ride height consistent in 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 times when it would normally be bouncing up and down and messing with the aerodynamics um is that correct yeah so so basically what you are looking for is a more accurate control of pitch which is the the nose down attitude of the car under braking um and heave which is the vertical displacement displacement of the car and those two elements are quite um dramatic when it comes to aerodynamics because they upset the front wing which then means the rest of the car can be upset um which can be extremely problematic and so what the teams want to do ideally is decouple um those scenarios so they want the suspension to maintain a certain level of uh ride um ability but they also want the aerodynamics to work effectively now the easy way to deal with that is to make your suspension extremely hard um but then that comes with other complications in terms of kinematics so um, there's no simple or right way to do these things, um, especially when you don't have things, something like active uh, suspension. So they've worked extremely hard on uh, creating systems or subsystems that allow uh, the, the, the aerodynamics to, to, to work at an optimum level. Right. And I, I remembered in, in learning about the Frick a little bit, uh, one of the things that I thought was clever and seems like that Formula One, especially in terms of suspension, goes to a lot, was using hydraulics and then asymmetric valving or asymmetric gating in order to gradually, uh, in order to uh, get more fine-grained control over how the car responds. So that instead of going back and down equally, it would go down fast and come back gradually, for example. Is this something that we saw in HPC as well? Yeah, and I believe that Red Bull really were the, at the forefront of trying to get that to work for them. Um, we we know the fact that their car was extremely good in terms of at the rear of the car, it would lower on the straights. Now, obviously, downforce is pulling the car towards the circuit um, in those circumstances. So you're inevitably going to get some kind of uh, lowering at the rear of the car. But theirs was exaggerated by the way in which that their suspen- suspension system allowed that. Now, the reason they wanted to do that is that it would actually stall parts of the, the arrow at the rear of the car, things like the diffuser and the rear wing so it would give a massive drag reduction because the amount of downforce is reduced at the same time so that's the sort of thing that red bull were pushing towards whereas the likes
likes of Ferrari in 2016 and perhaps as they were looking to do in 2017, and more so Mercedes, who were hurt this year by the HPC loss, um, was trying to maintain stability from the front wing aero to the, the sort of the midriff of the car um, to enable their aerodynamics to stay stable. Right. And we are fascinating the viewers with this, I can tell. Uh, we do have a quick question. Um, if you can answer it up uh, uh, easily, is why the Mercedes found the street circuit so much harder than the other teams. Okay, so that comes down to the speeds that we're working at in in normal senses, um, because we're we're working at a, the lower speed thresholds when we go to street circuits. So the way in which these valving system works perhaps isn't so tunable for how Mercedes want it to operate at the street circuits. Um, it has a lot to do with the aero side of things. So it's about stability, again, of the front wing. And they have a very complex um, set of arrangements behind the rear wheel and in front of the side pods. So that that's kind of where Mercedes perhaps struggled. And I, I might actually follow it up with another question is of all the competitors at the sharp end of the field, Mercedes was the only one to go with the low rake approach. Is it just possible that the bumpiness of the street circuit caused them to have to run a ride height that didn't work as well with their aero concept? Yeah, of course, uh, bumpy circuits are, are always going to be problematic, uh, especially for, for the likes of Mercedes who run a low rake philosophy, because as soon as you sort of ground the car in any position, you're, you're, you're losing aero efficiency. Um, and obviously, we saw what happened to Lewis um, at Brazil on a bumpy section of the circuit um, when they were investigating uh, suspension setups for next season. So, you know, that these sort of things happen. Um, Mercedes are known not to be good at street circuits and partly perhaps because of the way they run their aero setup and the way they, they, they need compliance from the suspension in that respect as well. Sorry about that. I saw you waving your hands around. Uh, no, the reason I was waving my hands around, Matt, was because I was gesticulating to you that I didn't understand anything that was going on my base level of tech understanding is so much lower than you two's that I, I kind of drifted in and out but i think i'm on the same wavelength as a lot of the listeners when i even say the concept of rake itself is not particularly familiar to me now this is generally what we're talking about by rake is if you have a high rake that means the back end is much higher than the front correct and then if you have a low right. rake like mercedes it's a bit lower down is that related to the wheelbases in any way is it like if you have a high rake ready to pop the question the jewelers at bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You need a short wheelbase. No, they're, they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Um, you could run an extremely long wheelbase car like Mercedes and still have a fairly decent rake. Yes, it's going to be compromised by the length of the chassis itself, but you, you could technically have a midway house, and it's what I perhaps expect Mercedes to have next season. Now, is this related to a bit of info that you gave us on a previous Tech Time, where you said Red Bull was trying to run a philosophy where they had this high rake in the corners, so at low speed... The suspension was sat up, uh, giving you a lot of high downforce. But when the car was going along the straight, it would start to sit down and you would basically, it would be like a mini opening of DRS, but for the whole car. Yeah, that, that's basically what HPC was uh, enabling Red Bull to do. Um, and it, it's what was taken away from them as part of their box of toys at the start of the season. And part of the reason as to why we perhaps saw them struggling at the start of the season, because they built uh, part of their concept around being able to do that. So uh, what else do you want to finish on then, talking about this suspension system? Summarise it for us, why don't you? Okay, so HPC, hydraulic, hydraulic pitch control, we are basically using a suspension as a secondary function. It is an aerodynamic device as determined by Charlie Whiting with a technical directive at the start of this year, um, which basically means that um, using... Uh, a suspension system that gains energy and then can use it later on, i.e. accumulating hydraulic pressure and then using it else at, at another point in time is now not a, not a possibility. And as with all these very complex regulations and things that are responses to uh, advantages teams have gained, you, you think that you're handicapping, say, Mercedes by taking away Frick and making this big regulation change. What you're actually doing is handicapping all the teams that spent loads of money trying to catch up with it. And then the new technology, the new set of regulations suits the teams with lots of money anyway. Surely, if they want teams to lose their advantage, the way to do it is to let other teams catch up rather than start again. Yeah, but we've had this discussion about power units as well. So Formula One doesn't work in those ways, unfortunately. Um, For me, the, the, the solution for 2021 might be uh, Ross Braun's technical working group looking at a spec system um, for active suspension perhaps and then we get around a lot of these problems because you can then decouple the suspension allow it to work for aero but also work kinematically um, and give us the free DRS that you've just mentioned Spanners. Yeah and and it seems like to me that that's a solution that that is often overlooked by the FIA that instead of banning a thing that has been successfully developed simply make it spec and give it to the other teams for cheap it seems like that would be a better solution overall for the sport yeah, I mean, the, the problem that you have with HPC or Frick is that they are very complex systems that are built around um, that particular team's desires. So what Mercedes are doing with their, or Mercedes did with their Frick or their HPC, didn't necessarily correlate to what Red Bull were doing with it. They were using them in very different ways. They were just using the grey area within the rules 
to operate those particular systems to their advantage. So, you know, there's these cottage industries that that crop up in Formula One um, and, and they suck huge amounts of money and development time. And for me, they are a, an amazing technical advance, but I can also see why people get frustrated that there's this huge amount of resource and money being spent on something that isn't really relevant. And don't worry, viewers, if you are confused and frustrated by the video you've just watched. Don't worry, I'm in exactly the same position as you. Uh, But what I've done over the last year and a half, especially when talking to Summers and when talking to Bradley Philpott, is I I rewatch and I re-listen to these things a couple of times. And believe it or not, even with that accent, the information starts to go in and it gives you a whole new appreciation for this sport. So I, I absolutely suggest you go back and listen if you were struggling with uh, some of the technical points Summers was making. Summers, thank you so much for coming on Missed Apex Podcast. Make sure you follow him at Summers F1. And there you go, podcast listeners. Now, that is the point at which Steve will cut the video, and then we'll go on to the next one. Now, Summers, the video editor, has been instructing you to look at the camera. Our Aussie video editor has been going... Look at the camera, Summers. Oh, my goodness. Right, because it's just creepy. You're just staring down at your navel while you're talking to us. Um, but Summers does have a fancy new camera, so he does look quite good on the live stream. So just a reminder to any audio listeners, if you want to follow along now, the next section is quite image heavy. I will, of course, try to make it so that you will, um, you know, we're not saying just look at this picture. If you look to the left of the picture, here's the thing we're talking about. We'll try and describe it. But if you do want to go and find those images, mistapexpodcast.com forward slash tech. And we've spelt tech T-E-C-H. Tried to make it nice and simple. So this is going to sound weird, but again, I'm going to go into my straight up video intro for the next video. We are here with Matthew Summerfield, Summers F1. Summers, Red Bull was a team that really had a season of two halves. We had a lot of uh, breakdowns and failures in the first half, especially with Verstappen, uh, but it's a team that we predicted would come through strongly. How is it that they were able to effectively challenge for being the second best team on the grid uh, through the second half of the season? And what went so wrong at launch? Well, I think you've got a few questions there, Spanners, but we'll try and answer them as best as we can. Um, do you want to pop up the first slide of the launch car? Um, one of my illustrations. Yeah, um, it's there now for the viewers and, to see. And basically, the the RB13, unlucky for some, as they even they dubbed it, um, was a, a very simplistic, perhaps you could class it as an elegant car. Um, and it's designed around the same philosophy that Adrian Newey has been punting since 2009 with the RB5. Um and if you, if you go back even further, in fact, some of his Leighton House designs are very similar. He follows very, very similar design philosophies. Now, with Red Bull, they tend to launch late. They tend to launch with a very basic car, and they tend to develop very heavily throughout the season. So it's of no surprise that this car was a little bit basic when it went to the first test. Um, however they got found out when they went to testing that had some correlation issues with the wind tunnel. Um, and basically they, they were really struggling for pace. So they had to go a bit back to the drawing board and Adrian Newey, who obviously has penned many of the Red Bull cars down the years had taken a bit more of a back seat, um, designing things like the Aston Martin Valkyrie for argument's sake. Um, so he'd left the stewardship of this car to, to some of the other 
um, guys down at Red Bull, the Dan Fallows in Aerodynamics, Rob Marshall, um, and, and several other sort of guys. Um, but basically, it is a very, very much a, a very newy style car. So I'm quite surprised to hear that they kind of deliberately turn up with a simplistic design um, because they're almost leaving lap time and leaving points on the table straight from the beginning of the season. It says to me two things. It says they are aware of the development race as a tactic throughout the season and they're just giving themselves a good, strong platform for which to develop what they think is their strength, which is development through the season. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. They they want a, a decent car out of the box. And as I said, they did have correlation issues, which is basically when the simulation tools, i.e. the CFD that they use and the wind tunnel, do not match the results that they get on track. Um, now, Adrian's actually pointed out the fact that they had issues in terms of the car width. So as I mentioned um, in earlier on, we, we have a, an issue where the cars increase by 200 millimetres. Um, so that, that has an impact on the design of the front wing and the associated aero that goes around the front wheels and the, in front of the side pods. And they had an issue there. Um, and, and that drastically had an impact on, on their performance going into the start of the season. Right. Trumpets here. Uh, just out of curiosity, I have two entirely unrelated questions. The first of which is, do you think to a certain extent that them showing up with a relatively unrefined car might be to retain what I would call maybe tactical flexibility in terms of the development? They can show up, see the paths that other people are taking and gather some real world data before they decide how they're going to lock themselves in for the season? There is a partially that, but I would suggest that they wanted a very simplistic car. They looked at the regulations and they thought that they could make these that their car design work very simply because of their rake um, style, uh, the, the 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 way that they run the car nose down um, with, with a high rear rake, um, and and also the fact that um, you know that. They, ha- they thought they had the HPC, the hydraulic pitch control suspension, uh, and that was banned just before the start of the season. So, you know, the, the, there's a couple of issues going on in terms of the way in which the 2017 season kicked off for them. Right. And the other one, and this is actually jumping ahead, I noticed that the uh, tip of your drawing there, the nose, is yellow. And I'm really curious about why it looks that, that way and, and what that's all about. Okay, Spanners, at this point, we need to move on to the second picture with the with the yellow um, highlights on the launch car because Matt's just alluded to them, which is, um, yeah, the, the nose slots basically is what you're talking about there, Matt. Um, it's an interesting design concept that, that Red Bull came up with and basically it means that what they do is they take air in through that, that small aperture and just it just goes straight out the back of the nose. It, it's basically just a, a mock-up. Um, it's not even a, a, a real piece of the nose, effectively. But what they have to do to follow the regulations is inside the nose, there are uh, uh, dividers um, so that the rules stipulate that a nose can only be one section. And to do that, if you took a slice through the nose, if you took a, a knife and slice through the nose, when you got to that point on the on the actual um, the nose tip there, because it's got those horizontal blades inside the nose tip it would still classify as one section so it's actually a very clever uh interpretation from red bull in that respect okay so essentially it's a hole in the nose that isn't a hole in the nose 
yeah, it, it, it shouldn't be there effectively is what we're saying. Um, you shouldn't have a hole in the nose, but uh, Red Bull found a way around the regulations, another grey area in which that they've uh, found to operate. Um, what's also interesting in terms of Red Bull on their design and why I've highlighted these areas on the car is, um, if you notice, I've, no, I've highlighted the front wing, um, the, the upper elements. You can't see the rest of the, the front wing, unfortunately, in this drawing, but the wing tips themselves are turned upwards rather than downwards. Now, every other team turns them down. And, and it's all to do with the way in which that the Y250 vortex is generated, where the flap section of the front wing meets the middle neutral section. Um, every team has to run the same neutral central section. Um, the outer section is open for interpretation. And so what Red Bull are doing with those wingtips is creating a different type of vortex. They're rotating the vortex slightly differently to improve it the way that they want it improved. And then further to that, just a little bit further down the car, you might be able to see the, the yellow highlight just on the edge of the floor. Now, Red Bull took an approach here to cut out the section of the floor in order to improve the aero as it washes back inbound and towards the diffuser. Um, they're, they're trying to create, again, another vortex to, to seal off the edge of the floor. Um, it was something that they latterly changed, and we'll go through that in a second as we look at their in-season development. But I thought I'd point that out as it was quite an interesting aspect from the launch of the car. I find it absolutely fascinating that the little section you're describing is probably just underneath and behind where the driver's helmet is on the side of the floor that sticks out. You're just talking about like a couple of inches cut out uh, and then tapered off. So the size of a small kitchen knife has been cut out with the floor, and that is enough to affect the airflow uh, over the back of the diffuser, and that people are sitting there thinking and developing this. It really does illustrate that this is a major part of the sport we love and watch. And a lot of the time we focus on the drivers when a lot of the competition is sat in front of a computer doing this fantastic engineering work. But surely, I mean, if you look down further down the car, there's all these fancy strakes in the floor, doesn't that little cutout just completely wipe out the effects of those little cutouts further down? No, because you're, you're trying to set up the airflow for those areas of the car. So you, you're tuning the whole car to work in cohesive harmony with one another. Um, all of these aero surfaces are designed to, to work together. You know, that view the car as one whole entire aerodynamic surface that's the only way you can you can realistically look at these cars and that's why they run very different philosophies okay do you want me to move to the next slide then summers uh just one last thing on this slide so on the rear wheel you see that i've colored in the the rear wheel hub itself and that's the actual um wheel design so they've worked with their partner oz to to create a, a different rear wheel design and they've just added some little humps to the to the exterior of the of the wheel itself and all that does is it just creates a different airflow inside the wheel rim in order to to, to push the air out differently uh, as it moves out around the rear of the tire but again it's another design that only red bull had this season up until around mexico when force india introduced something similar so you know it's these minor details that really fascinate me at the start of the season because you, you get to see the differences between each car okay so if i move on to the next slide then we're starting to see some evolution of red bull's design through the season uh, and what we're looking at now is the kind of side pod again right 
to the you know left and right of where the driver sits and they've got these really intricate standing kind of mountains uh, next to the side of the driver that extend that kind of sit out a few inches from the main chassis yeah well these are the barge boards um there's a couple of things that have changed here from the testing uh, of the car to Australia. So I just wanted to point those out. Um, the barge boards I, I've highlighted in red, the upper upper surface has been cut away quite dramatically on the leading element and then the secondary element. And then the foot plate, which is the area below the, the, the main barge board, has also had a, a, an extra section added to it in order to change the way in which the, the flow moves underneath the floor. Um, and then lastly, if you look at the white arrow, we've got the side pod air, the side pod airflow conditioner, which goes from around the floor all the way and wraps around the top of the side pod um, to improve the flow over the top of the side pod and around the corner, uh, the shoulder of the side pod. Um, and yeah, those are improvements made specifically in Australia. So is this the thing Rob Graham is asking in the chat room that Sebastian Vettel was looking at the car and going, hey, they ripped off our barge boards. No, we're going to get to that. Uh, we'll be there in Singapore. This is Australia. So yeah, okay. we'll, we'll be there soon. That's fair enough. And I've gone all this time. You hear bargeboard, you hear those words over and over again, and then you see a picture of it and you go, oh, all right, that's the bargeboard. Okay, I can stop uh, just nodding along now. Next time you say it, I'll actually know what you're talking about. Okay. And if you want to move on to the next uh, slide then, Spanners. I will. You talk about it and then I'll summon it up as if by magic, and I'm stalling because, you know, I've pressed the you wrong can't. button. I've pressed the, pressed the wrong button. I have. Um, right, so we're in China. We've moved moved forward a race, um, and we're looking at the, the, the next development. And basically, Red Bull have changed their turning vanes. Now, the turning vanes are the elements that are held underneath the chassis and the nose, and they basically have an impact on the airflow generated underneath the nose so they separate the 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 airflow that's going through the center of the car Um, and also they have an impact on the y250 vortex that we talked about from the front wing and all they did in this particular design differences is they've set they've created that slot um, basically between the two elements Uh, and that will just change the way the flow moves in in those two areas Uh, yeah it's really interesting so for the audio listeners what we're talking about is at the rear of the nose section in between basically the wheels underneath the wishbones, they've just got this hanging bit of aerodynamics coming down from the nose. And it is just like a machined sheet of metal that they've uh, let flap down, twisted up the ends like a little L, and then positioned to get rid of airflow. Are they actually just allowed to do that up and down the whole nose, just bolt bits of metal on to give them more aero? Well, it's not metal, it's carbon, carbon fibre. But... There's, there's certain areas within the regulations that they're allowed to operate. So there's a certain section at which point that that can start and which point it can finish. So Red Bull are probably operating at the most forward point um, in this respect. But other teams might go a little further rearwards. It just depends on their philosophy and the way in which they want to move the air in, in that particular region. Is it... Uh... Is is it just that the teams will always start with the forwardmost points because that affects everything behind it? So even a small change at the front will be magnified by every successive structure it hits on the way down the car? It depends on the the overall design of the the, the car. So you move in the you may be moving the center of pressure, um, which then has an effect depending on 
where you want to operate the downforce at what point in the corner etc so it can be quite complicated that you'll see that throughout a development point in a season things do tend to move backwards and forwards as the designers find that sweet spot um, they're looking for for something in particular um, they're trying to create a very specific set of circumstances that allow the car to operate to the to their driver's um, requests right and uh, I'm are assuming that when we move on to the next slide, could I slot in a question or two from the chat room? Yeah. Let's move on to the next one now. Great. We have uh, Rob Graham wanting to know how teams can still suffer from correlation issues, alluding to your discussion of the uh, Red Bull launch car. And sort of related to that, we had Bradley Philpott asking, how much time do teams take thinking about crosswinds, air not hitting the car front on, which I think we call yaw, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, whether or not they even really think about it all that much. Okay, so first question about correlation is that issue would have become more apparent this season because of the change in width of the car. So we've gone from 1,800 millimetres track width up to two metres track width. Um, You also have an issue in terms of the size of the tyres, I know we're talking about same scales, but um, the actual scale tyres that are provided by Pirelli may have caused some correlation issues because the teams may have worked with them differently when they're working with the old models. So, you know, it, it is a work in progress. The tunnel will always be changing, um, always be making improvements to it. So, um, yeah, the, there may be correlation issues crop up at any point. Um especially when they're, they're working, you know, the, the, it's a deteriorating element as well. They're working with them almost 24-7. So, you know, there, there has to be some stability in terms of how they how they work with these items. It is just a resource after all. Um, and to refer to, to Bradley's um, question, um, they're constantly looking at your um because that's where they're making the most of their time um, in the corners. You know, downforce is what we're wanting to generate, um, and they're wanting to deal with the issue of the, the front tyres, really. that That's one of the biggest issues of, of of creating downforce, because, you know, everybody just sees a straight steered car when you when when you think about it you think of a straight steered car but you know that that's a movable element and so they're, they're looking to to improve that area if i could just ask a follow-up on that is there a fundamental difference between the car turning and being in yaw and the car being moving in a straight line and being hit by crosswinds because it's not clear to me from his question exactly which one of those two he meant yeah, fun- fundamentally, they are different. And you'll often hear of drivers being caught out by a change in a tailwind, etc., um, because their car is set up specifically because they've worked in free practice to, to have the right downforce level going into the the that particular corner. And then all of a sudden, the, the wind direction changes, and it means that they've got a, a different um, setup on their car, effectively. So, yeah, um, crosswinds will have a, a very different um relationship compared to to your angles okay summer so moving on to the next slide you've got you have got here a front wing and your illustration is looking at these very very complicated front wings we looked at the mercedes one earlier with about four different ribs and levels i'm counting this one and i can't even tell how many it's got one two three four five i think six but some of them are split in two so is that seven and then it's got multiple layers. It's got another layer of front wing hanging off the end plate. And that's got three little uh, straky rib things as well. Like, that's that's insane. But because it's Red Bull, you think 
it's probably doing something. Yeah, they're, they're all doing something. And as we were just talking about, we, we've steered wheel position. That That's quite important in, in this respect. So um, the, the Red Bull wing here, I believe, is a nine-element wing on the outside and a six or seven-element on the, the interior section. A lot of teams tend to compartmentalise areas of the front wing. So the inner section will deal with downforce and rotating the Y250 door vortex, whereas the outside will tend to uh, deal with tyre wake. So on this particular one, what they've done is they've redesigned the um, R cascade. Um, so they've taken away a flap in the R cascade, uh, and all that does is change the position of the airflow moving over the front of the tyre. And if we um, if we move on to slide five, then spanners, and we're we're up to Spain already. There we go. So now we are looking at the area just in front of the driver cockpit on the thing that I now know is called a barge board. There is basically an external fin jutting out about four inches after that. As if that barge board structure wasn't intimidating enough, I take it this means that in Barcelona, they then added basically extra little wings onto the side of the barge boards. Yeah, well, Spain is always a, a very heavy development uh, for people, uh, for, the, for the teams, because um, it's the first European race and it means that they, they don't have to fly out parts to, to the other side of the world. So you tend to get huge packages of updates coming through in Spain. The barge boards introduced here are, are much more complex. Um, the first element is a lot taller. And as Spanners has just pointed out, it has that, that vein hanging, out, hanging outside. It also has a much more complex array of uh, footplate winglets, uh, which I've highlighted with a, with a red arrow. Um, so yeah, they, they, they're now starting to understand their fundamental issues with this particular car and starting to address those and add aerodynamic parts to the car in Spain. So if we move on to, um, the next slide spanners, number six, and we're, we're off to Monaco. Um, and, and there we've, we can see that, um, Red Bull have introduced a T-wing, you know, your favorite element on, on, in Formula One in 2017 for the first time. Uh, well, nothing has made people whinge more uh, than this. Uh, obviously, next season, when the halo comes in, you know, watch out. But this season, people have really complained about these structures. Now, I wonder if they weren't so flimsy, people wouldn't have uh, minded so much. But these things were just flapping about horribly. And you kind of wonder, are they still doing their job, even though they're moving around so much? Yeah, I mean, Haas had the worst case scenario in terms of their, their T-wing. But yeah, Um they are what they are, and we won't have to see them again. So I'm, I'm not too concerned about them. Um, in terms of development here, you can just see that Red Bull added a, a two-element wing with with a elongated um, end plate, a high downforce rear wing, and a monkey seat um, to to improve the connection between the diffuser and the rear wing for the um, high downforce requirements of Monaco. Right, and as we talk about Monaco, um, is it? The case, because normally we hear that Spain is where a lot of big updates happen, but it doesn't seem like looking at the pictures you showed that all that much really occurred for Red Bull there. And in Monaco, we have the T-Wing and other stuff that you're going to tell us about that's new for them. Did they split their development between those two races or was there more to what they brought to Spain than is was just obvious to me? Yeah, no, the, there was a few more bits and pieces. I didn't want to go through everything. I'm, I'm looking to, to pick up the big bulky items, really. Um, we, they did run a high downforce rear wing in Spain, very similar to the one that we're seeing here in Monaco, but they didn't run it with a monkey seat uh, because they didn't need that, that level of um, 
connection between the diffuser and the rear wing for Spain because there, there's also a, a huge amount of um, straight line stuff in, in Spain as well and high speed corners. Um, they also changed the nose camera positions as well in Spain. Uh, very subtle changes, you know, but we're, we're talking about perhaps the bigger things that have increased their development throughout the season. So, yeah. They're, they're they're constantly evolving these cars. Even I miss things from time to time because they they are they're so very small in their detail. And then I catch up to them a few races later. Even the mighty Matt Summerfield Summers F1 misses those details. And I think that is going to wrap up part one of the Red Bull season roundup. So make sure that you tune in for Red Bull part two. Follow Summers at Summers F1, me at Spanners Ready and Matt Trumpets at MattPT55 on Twitter. So then, I think that that is a good time to end this particular episode of Tech Time. And fortunately, that means we've got enough content to do a two-parter. So we will see you listeners next week for the second part of the Tech Time review. Until next time, remember that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. This was Tech Time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code. Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.